Thank you, Pastor. It's good to be here this evening, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. And I think, now if I got it right, now that Brother Sean that just gave his testimony, he's a fellow that had the nail in his eye. I've been praying for you every day for uh, ever since it happened. I was here, I believe, when it happened and uh, left the next day, but I've been praying for you, brother, and I'm, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to see God do what he's done. I have uh, some eye problems. I have, uh, I went blind in my right eye, uh, I think in way back, I was over 30 years ago, I guess, and um, had to have surgery, had to have a, a partial eye transplant, uh, had to get another person's cornea uh, put in, and you don't just go over to the Walmart and order one. Uh, you got to wait till somebody dies so you can get their eye. To, and with a cornea, you have a 24-hour window uh, to get that. And so the doctor called me. I lived about 50 miles from the hospital. He called me, said, you need to come down. Uh, we have a, a donor, a donor eye for you. And so I got in my car. My wife didn't even go with me. It was just such short notice. And uh, she came down later, but uh, I, on the way down there, I got about halfway to the hospital and I got to praying about it. I said, dear God, please don't let me get a woman's eye. <laughs> I'd hate to look at things the way women look at things. <laughs> so, uh, but I've had a great hankering for Mexican food ever since, so I don't... <laughs> No, if that tells you anything or not. Uh, this is uh, the last time that I'll speak unless something pops up that I don't know about before Christmas uh, Sunday. And Sunday, Christmas is on Sunday this year. I start a meeting uh, the Wednesday after Christmas. It goes through the first of the year. And, and then I go to Florida and then I go to Mississippi. And uh, so it, it just keeps going. But... Uh, I, this is my favorite Christmas story uh, that I've been telling for over 30 years. I don't, you, maybe you've heard it, but if you've heard it, please indulge me, and I hope you'll enjoy it. There was a little boy. Uh, he was a Christian boy like these boys sitting on the front row, and he, he did not believe in Santa Claus, and I hope you don't either, uh, but he didn't believe in Santa Claus, but he, he believed in Jesus, and he wanted uh, to get a little red bike for Christmas. And uh, he, all his buddies, they were writing letters to Santa, and so he got it in his head. He was going to sit down and write him a, a letter to Jesus. And so he started out, and he said, Dear Jesus, I'd like to have a little red bike. And he had it in his mind, too, that he might ought to do something to help him to get this bike by doing right. And so he said, Dear Jesus, I'd like a little red bike, I promise that I will not hit my little sister all this coming year. I will keep my room noticeably uh, and perfectly clean, and I will do the dishes every single night for my mother. Well, he was just about ready to sign his name to that document, but it looked like a little bit more than he wanted to commit, and so he wadded it up and threw it in the trash, got him another piece of paper and got his pencil back out, and he said, Dear Jesus, if you'll give me that little red bike, I promise when I do hit my sister, I won't hit her very hard. <laughs> I will keep my room reasonably neat and clean. And I will dry the dishes every once in a while and not complain too much about it. 
And he looked at that document, and that was a little bit more than he wanted to commit. So he wadded it up and threw that in the trash. Got him another piece of paper out, and he wrote down on that piece of paper, he said, Dear Jesus, I want a little red bike. And I promise you I won't be too mean to my little sister all year. And there will be a path from my doorway to my bed and to my dresser in my bedroom. And I will hardly gripe when mom makes me do the dishes. And he looked at that piece of paper and that commitment, and that was a little bit more than he wanted to handle. He wadded it up and threw that in the trash. He put his head in his hand and looked out the window, and across the street was a Catholic family. And they had... I don't know why they put their God out in the front yard in a half-sunken bathtub. I have no idea why they do that. But there was a statue of Mary out there in the front yard of that house. So he waited till it got dark. He went over there and he stole that statue of Mary. He brought it back into his bedroom. He took the pillowcase off of his pillow and slipped it down over that statue. He took all the toys out of his toy box. He lifted that statue, put it down in the bottom of his toy box. He put all the toys back on top of it. He shut the lid. And he sat down with a piece of paper and his pencil at his little desk. And he said, Dear Jesus, I want a little red bike. And if you ever expect to see your mother again, <laughs> that is my favorite Christmas story. It has nothing to do with the message tonight or even the times of the season, but I, this is my only chance to tell it. So I did. I, uh, I want to give you a little test. I taught a little bit yesterday at the college, and Bible college or Bible institute, whatever you call it, and uh, I'm going to speak there tomorrow night also for a little bit. And uh, it really is a wonderful blessing. We had such a a uh, good time last night, and I, and I was so tired last night, I have no idea what I even said. And I hope they took good notes, and maybe <laughs> they can tell me what I talked about. But I, I gave them a little assignment. I want to give you a little test tonight with a question. I would like to have you, and your pastor asked me to preach this message. If it's not any good, just blame him. <laughs> but uh, I want to talk to you about Daniel and David. A dynamic duo in prayer. Daniel and David, a dynamic duo in prayer. Now I want to give you a little test. Who, do you th who said this? A very famous man in American history. Uh, and I would assume everybody in the room would know his name. Who do you think made this statement? Prayer is like plugging in on a current whose source is heaven. Prayer completes the circuit. It is power. I'll read it again. Prayer is like plugging in on a current whose source is heaven. Prayer completes the circuit. It is power. Anybody have a guess? An idea who made that statement? Anybody? How about somebody was in class last night? You're, you're, you guys are college students. You ought to have a guess. Do you have any idea who said that? Prayer is like plugging in on a current whose source is heaven. Prayer completes the circuit. It is power. General George S. Patton made that statement just days before the Battle of the Bulge. He uh, instructed his two chaplains to write out a prayer to pray for good weather and et cetera so those American soldier boys could be delivered uh, there uh, from the German armies. General George Patton said, prayer is like plugging in on a current 
whose source is heaven. Prayer completes the circuit. It is power. And I must say amen to that statement. Now this may be apocryphal, but I heard this. There was a military uh, uh, convocation of generals and uh, there were some political people there during World War II. Men had been brought back from the front. Generals had been brought back to the States to Fort Bragg. And uh, more generals and more potentates and important people came than they planned on. And so uh, the commanding officer called down to the motor pool and he said, uh, we need 10, new, 10 more jeeps down here to transport the dignitaries. He said, I need them ASAP. I need them right now. Well, time passed and the 10 uh, Jeeps didn't happen to show up. And General Patton was there and he said, call the, and probably in quite colorful language, to be honest with you, that we're not going to ever use, let alone in the pulpit. But he said, we have got to have those Jeeps up here right now. And so the commanding officer called down there, kind of a little bit of hemming and hawing on the other end. And uh, General Patton got on the telephone. He said, in, again, in perhaps quite colorful language, uh, you've got to get these Jeeps down here immediately. We've got to have them right now. They've got to be spick and span. They've got to be absolutely perfect. And uh, on the other end of the line, uh, this young man, this young corporal, he had no idea who was doing the talking at that time. He said, well, I don't know what's the matter uh, with those fathead generals up there. Think we could get a Jeep down over there that quick and get 10 of them cleaned up that fast? I don't know what's the matter with them. And General Patton said, do you have any idea who you're talking to, young man? He said, no, I don't. He said, I am General George S. Patton. The corporal paused a moment. He said, sir, do you have any idea who you're talking to? He said, no, I don't. He said, goodbye, fathead, and hung up. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I heard that. I want to just give you some thoughts on prayer from the lives of David and Daniel these two wonderful men. I want you to consider initially that prayer is not hindered by humble circumstances. Anyone in this room can pray. Amen. There's not a person in this building tonight. David was just a shepherd boy. Daniel was captive and enslaved in a far off land. Anyone can pray. These young men on the Front pew can pray. Uh, Middle-aged people. Moms with problems. Dads with situations. Grandpas and grandmas. We can all pray. Anyone can pray. Now I know and you do too that David and Daniel were quite gifted men. Daniel had skill and understanding. David was a man who sought after God's own heart. God testified to that fact in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 22. Daniel was a man that was touched and anointed by God and given great ability, but anyone can pray. I want you to consider tonight this truth. Don't let your humble circumstances keep you from the throne of grace. You are just as welcome tonight at the throne of grace as the greatest saint in all the world. You can pray. God wants to hear our prayers. 
I don't want to spend a lot of time on this thought tonight, but I want you to consider also this wonderful truth that David and Daniel prayed at specific times. David prayed according to Psalms 55 and 17. He said, evening and morning and at noon did I pray. You need to have a specific time when you talk to God and God knows you're going to talk to him at that particular time. Daniel, you remember in chapter 6 and verse number 20, they had been forbidden to pray to any other entity but the king of the province. But he prayed, the Bible says, three times a day. And there's a wonderful little statement there, as he did aforetime. There was nothing that dissuaded. There was nothing that discouraged. There was nothing that denied him his time to pray. In the, in the New Testament, our book says in Acts 2 and 15, they prayed in the third hour. In chapter 10 and verse 9, they prayed in the sixth hour. In Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1, they prayed in the ninth hour. As Daniel prayed to his own peril, God help us to be people of prayer. Adam and Eve prayed and communicated with God in the cool of the day. The basis of your prayer life, the basis of my prayer life is sonship. We are children tonight of the Most High God. There was a famous man that came to our country, came to your state, the state of Georgia. He and George Whitfield had an orphanage over on the east coast of your state. And uh, he was over here and been ministering and preaching, John Wesley. And uh, he was going home on board a ship back to England. On the way back, there was some uh, Moravian men. And at 35 years of age, he'd been preaching a while. He'd been serving a while. He'd been helping people a while. But John Wesley, while traveling with those Moravians on board that ship, came to the realization that he had not genuinely been born again. And so at 35 years of age, John Wesley was converted to Jesus Christ. Now you take that number 35 and you turn it around, it's 53. You add 53 to 35. I went to school, but it was a long time ago. I believe that's 88 years of age. He's now 88. He's dining in the most famous author in all of Great Britain at the time in his home. They have a delightful meal. They have good conversation. The meal gets over about 8 o'clock at night. John Wesley pushes himself back away from the table. And he said, I need to excuse myself and go to my home. The famous author said, really, it's early. I'd like to talk to you some more. He said, I can't. He said, I've got to get home and get to bed. John Wesley uh, hesitated a moment, and the man said, well, what do you have to go to home so early for and get to bed so early? He said, I have an appointment tomorrow morning at 4 a.m. that I cannot miss. The famous author said to him, 4 a.m., who in the world are you going to meet at 4 a.m. tomorrow morning? He said, for 53 years since I've been converted to Jesus Christ, every single morning at 4 a.m., I meet in prayer with the God of heaven. May God help us 
to develop in our lives a specific time when we communicate with our great God. Prayer is such a valuable tool, but sad to say, it is a very neglected tool in the toolbox of the average Christian. I say to you tonight that prayer gives discernment. In 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse number 19, David was able to discern uh, the woman of Tekoa's little facade uh, that she put on. It was, you know, she was sent by Joab. You know the story. I'm trying to save a little time. Daniel, it's very obvious that he had the ability to interpret dreams. It was a gift of God. Oswald Chambers made this statement. He said, pray with your eyes on deity, not on the difficulty. There are all kinds of problems that crop him in our lives. There's health problems. There's financial problems. There's personal relationship problems. We don't pray with our eyes on the impossibility of the problem, but we pray with our eyes on the potentate of heaven, trusting him. Someone who is a faithful prayer warrior will see more with their eyes wet and and tears flowing down their cheeks and the world shut away from their vision, he'll realize great victory. Be be a man or a woman of prayer. Then I want you to consider this quickly. Prayer gives overcoming power. In the 35th chapter of the book of Psalms, you'll read one of David's imprecatory prayers. Uh, He prayed against some people. There's an 18-point indictment in that chapter against his foes. He prayed against them. He he wanted victory over the influence that they had. He wanted victory over the impact that they had on his life. God, God will give you in prayer overcoming power. Daniel, remember, was resisted by uh, the devil, by the, the prince of Persia. And God finally brought him. He prayed for 21 days and could not get his prayer answered, could not get it through But God's designated deliverer, Michael the archangel, came and helped him to break through the brassy skies and reach beyond to heaven's gate with his prayers. God gives overcoming power through prayer. Then contemplate this for just a moment. I think there are prayers of confession. Uh, David's classic prayer of confession is uh, relayed to us in Psalms chapter 51. You know, I said it earlier, and all of you know it anyway, that David was a man after God's own heart, but he was a man that broke God's own heart with his sin. We don't need to go into detail. You know about it tonight. But in that 51st chapter, listen, if you're here tonight and you've got some sin in your life, if you're here tonight and you've got some, something that you're covering, if you're here tonight and you've got some things that you're coveting that you're not supposed to have, if you're here tonight and you have unconfessed sin in your life, you would be wise to take that book and get in this altar at the 51st chapter of the book of Psalms and confess your way to a right relationship again with Jesus Christ. Daniel resisted. We talked about that. Daniel Daniel made an intercessory prayer also in regard to confession in uh, Daniel 9 and 4, but his was a national, a national confession. He started out that prayer in Daniel 9 and 4 
with the personal pronouns I and my. But as he prayed through there, verses uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, the initial I became we and our in us. We have a problem. Our nation is a mess. And on and on he prayed. Now, I'm, I, I don't, you know, I'm just here tonight and I, I may have to leave tomorrow after I say what I'm going to say. But I tell you, I am thankful how the election turned out. I mean, we have, at least we have somebody who is man enough to say a few things that I think need to be said. We knew how it would have turned out if Jezebel's sister would have won. We'd have been in a terrible mess. God, God be praised. God, you know, God can use people uh, that are not the best tool to get his work done. And if any, any nation needs to be prayed for, it is our nation. We need to pray. Mr. Pence, our vice president-elect, is a fine man. I know several preachers in the state of Indiana that know him personally. I know preachers who have been in his home, and they have been in this, these preachers' homes. They've talked to him. He's genuinely, I believe, born-again man of God and may have some influence on our present president-elect. I trust he will. Daniel focused on the failings of God's people. And I'll say this tonight. I don't, I don't lay all the blame of our problems in this country on, on the White House or Congress. I blame more of it on the church house, on God's people. God said, if my people, my people, we're the ones that need to do something, then may God help us to do it. The collective condition of our nation needs prayer. There is nothing, I don't know if you believe this or not, but there is nothing any finer for a child of God after you're saved than getting right with God. There's not a, I don't know, you might be one of those Christians, you've never had a problem since the day you got saved. You've never committed a sin, you've never had a bad thought. You never did a bad deed. I mean, I'd like to meet you after the service and have you sign my Bible as Saint so-and-so. I probably won't get too many takers on that. But I tell you, it's a wonderful thing after you're saved to get right with God. Go down a wrong path, get involved in some things, get over your head in situations. But we have a great God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. I believe that prayer works in, in ways that we can't even come close to conceiving. Then I want to talk to you just briefly uh, about the last prayer. I got an old friend, a wonderful friend. Matter of fact, I think uh, when I preached here in uh, May, I communicated with Brother Randy Pike, and I believe he used to preach in this church when Brother Cape uh, was the pastor here way, way back. Randy Pike was one of the greatest missionaries of the last half of the 20th century. And he's a great man. He's 84, 85 years of age now. He's been flat on his back for the last four years. He was crippled uh, most of his life since he was 18 years of age. He was uh, paralyzed from the waist down, but he, he's been terrible, terrible health for these many, many years. But he, he wrote me this little... He, <laughs> I, 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 I've got every letter... I don't know how many uh, uh, filing cabinets, I think two, 
in the junk room, and I got one in my office, and I got two in my other office, but I don't have any letters in there. But I've, every letter I've ever received for the last probably 40 years, I've saved them. You say, what for? I have no idea, but I've saved them. I've only saved three emails. That tells you the quality of most emails. And uh, text messages, I haven't saved a one of those. But I've saved, and this is an email that Brother Randy sent. He said, what could be more horrible than not talking to God in holy prayer? Sharing with Him everything in life is one of the greatest solaces we know. I had rather die than to be cut off from the Lord, unable to speak to Him as I live out my life. Prayer is the breath and the heartbeat of the saved soul. He said, old age is gradual surrender. Slowly we discover this, that or the other must be turned loose. No longer is it usable. Things that were needed to help us along the way are laid aside. I don't know what David's last prayer was. However, I've thought much about mine. What will be your final words? Will there be complaints, gossip, doubt, regret, or what? I read years ago that the final words of, the Brit of Britain's great leader during World War II, Winston Churchill, were these. He mumbled, what a fool I've been. An old friend of ours called Mae Browning lay dying at the age of 100. She called to her children, look, look at the beautiful angels. They've come to take me home. He said, Moody whispered, ah, this is my coronation day. What will your final prayer and words be? Not to pray is not to live. Not to share everything with our Heavenly Father is an unbearable thought. Oh, dear one, pray while you can. Remember the Holy Spirit takes our feeble prayers to the throne and tell, tells God what we want to say but can't. Romans 8, 26 and 27. And he said, I want to die praying. What will your last prayer be? What will it be? Samuel Chadwick said this. He said, prayer is the most valuable use of language. Prayer is the most valuable use of language. Don't you think prayer would be a better use of language than gossip? Don't you think prayer would be a better use of language than our complaining about everything? Don't you think that prayer would be a be better use of that which comes verbally from our lips than some language that's inappropriate? Some unkind word to a loved one or a fellow church member or our boss or an employee at the job. In Psalms 72 and 20, the Bible says this, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And in recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 19, David makes his last prayer that's recorded in the Bible, and he prayed for his son, Sam, Solomon. He was concerned about the future of the kingdom under his son, Solomon, who would reign in his place. Daniel's last prayer is found in Daniel 12 and 13, and he prayed uh, for future blessing and service during the millennial reign and, uh, of Christ and talked about what was coming down the road of life. I want you to consider this in closing, that our prayers never end. They keep on going and going and going and going and going. They hover around the throne of God like a swarm of gnats. 
I believe God answers every prayer. Sometimes it's very simplistic. I think he sometimes says yes. I, I think sometimes he answers in his own time. He says not now. I think sometimes he answers in his own way and he says no because I have something better for you in mind. Don't you think that Mary and Martha prayed that God would raise their brother Lazarus? Don't you think they prayed that Jesus would get there in time so they could uh, uh, bring health and healing to Lazarus? But God had something better in mind. I don't know what disease it was that killed Lazarus. I have no idea. But Jesus, it would not have expended much energy for him to have healed him from where he was. He healed other people where he wasn't in their geographic presence. He could have done it, but God had something better and bigger in mind. Our prayers linger like effervescent vapors in vials before God. John the Revelator said this. He spoke of them in Revelation 5 and 8. He said there are our prayers are golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. You think about it. In heaven... There are golden vials containing, containing the prayers of his people. Amen. Every prayer you've ever prayed, every prayer you have ever asked God about is recorded in heaven and stored in a golden vial. In Revelation 8, 3, and 4, the prayers of God's people one day will be presented to him out of an angel's hand. You ever think of that? That every prayer you've ever prayed, it's stored up there in heaven. And one of these days, there's not a Christian in this building that's not going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us are going to stand there. And part of that, God is going to say, go and get the prayers that are in those golden vials of Tim Green or whatever your name might be. And an angel is going to come our book says very plainly there in the book of the Revelation that he's going to come with those prayers in those vials and present them to God Almighty. I wonder how many vials it's going to take to bring your prayers to God. My dear dad, he's 88 years of age. My father for probably uh, the last 55 years has prayed every day for four hours, at least every day for four hours. My father's prayer list on eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper from uh, this part of the desk, the preaching desk here, uh, that tall. There's nearly 7,000 names of people that my dad prays for at least four hours every day and has for a century, a half a century plus. That's a lot of praying. My dad called me. My dad's very, very ill. He called me about, oh, back in the summertime, I guess. He said, son, I need to ask you a question. He said, uh, do you think the dear Lord would mind? He said, Tim, it's taken me eight hours now a day to pray my prayer list. And he said, it just consumes, you know, a third of the day. And he gets interrupted or whatever happens or his mind, he loses track or he's, he's not well. He said, do you mind, you think the Lord would mind if, if I prayed half of my prayer list one day 
uh, for four hours and the other half the next day for four hours? I said, preacher, I don't think God would mind, but those poor rascals you ain't praying for one day, they're going to be in a world of hurt. You say, I don't have time to pray. You're way too busy then, friend. I don't have any compulsion within me to pray. You're in serious spiritual state of being backslidden. God help us. We are people of prayer. From David and Daniel, we learn these seven lessons, and I just give them to you and quit. Prayer must be consistent. Prayer, you're never too young to pray. It can be commenced in your youth. You're never too old to pray. It can be continued all through life. Uh, prayer, your prayer life may cost you. Uh, the path to intercessory prayer is confession. It provides consecration. It brings commendation. And our prayers will endure until coronation day. Some people, when they stand before God, it's going to be like a volcano, those vapors that come out of their prayer vessels. Others of us, our prayers kind of like the steam that comes off a teacup that soon dissipates into the air. Some folks' prayer life will be like an ocean. Others will be like a thimble. Not much to it. Will you pray? You're going to see all your prayers again. I was at a conference not long ago. There were some men selling suits. And I knew both of them. I, one of them had been a pastor for a long time. The other had been a missionary for a long time. The missionary had been on the field, I think, 35 plus years. He said to me, he said, uh, tell your dad when you see him, I appreciate him praying for me. He said, I know your dad's prayed for me all these years. I said, well, if he said he did, he is. He's been praying for you every day for all these years you've been on the field. The other brother made this statement. He said, Tim, I... I read a little article the other day. It said that the average Christian prays three minutes a day. The average Christian prays three minutes a day. But he said, I read on in the article and it said the average preacher prays seven minutes a day. And he made this statement. He said, that's why most of us are just average. We don't have much of a prayer life. We don't see its importance. We, we, we're, not, we're not connected to heaven like we can be. There's not a person in this room that it's, it's not impossible for you to have a viable, consecrated, effective prayer life. The only thing that keeps you from the throne of grace is you, is you. My best friend died Christmas morning, 1999, at 50 years of age. I got him to Christ in 1976. We grew up together. Uh, he was a faithful member of my father's church, became a multimillionaire. Passed away now 17 years ago, I guess. And... Uh, I've been in their fine home. His widow just sold their home this past summer. But I've been in that home. I couldn't tell you how many times I spent the night in their home after we moved away to Ohio. I get up pretty early in the morning. But I'd get up early in the morning, let's say 5.30, maybe 6 o'clock being in their home. This man worked 18-hour days. 
very successful businessman in the construction field. I've never, I never beat him up in the morning. I could take you to that house now if the people would let me in. And there'd be a place. He'd have his, I could take you right to it. He'd have an open Bible laying on the floor. And he'd be laying out. I don't know what time he got up, 4.30, quarter to 5, 5 o'clock in the morning, but he'd have his nose in that book and he'd be praying, praying. He'd say, I'm too busy. You weren't any busier than that man was. 18-hour days, six days a week. You might be, but you better pray. Get to praying. Prayer makes things possible. It, uh, when prayer makes things possible, it links the praying soul to an omnip omnipotent God. We're not praying to the ceiling. We're not praying to the floor. We're praying to the God of heaven who can do anything. Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice. Prayer is returning from his ways. While angels in their songs rejoice and cry, behold, he prays. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air, his watchword and the gates of death. His watchword as the gates of death, he enters heaven with prayer. God help us to be people of prayer. You say, well, I pray every day. I sat with a very wealthy young man <laughs> less than 10 days ago. He and his brother in a restaurant. And those people have been wonderful, good, and kind to me over the years. We sat at the table and the food came. And they began to eat. One of them was 50. The other one's about 45 or 46. I said, boys, we pray before we eat. We pray before we eat in public. That's just a little prayer, you know, a 30-second, a minute prayer to bow your head and thank God for the food that he's providing us. God help us to be people of prayer. If one individual in this building tonight, somehow God would reach down into the depths of your soul and point out, you know, you could be that person of prayer. You could be that individual that amps up your prayer life a couple of minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes. You can't pray too much. God keeps record. There's vials with our prayer life. I, I don't want to get to heaven and have them bring out a thimble. I don't want to get to heaven and it's just a drop. I don't want to get to heaven. It's just the vapors off a teacup. I want to have a valuable and viable prayer life that has an impact and effect on people around the world. You know, you can pray something here. We're not in Chickamauga anymore. Where are we? Rossville. You could pray right here in Rossville and affect people in Russia. You can pray right here in Rossville and affect people in New Zealand. You, mean, you, you know, we have satellites now. You know, you call on your phone, it goes up to a satellite and comes down to somebody else. Friend, prayer life 
We have a prayer life. It goes up to the throne of God and goes to someone else. Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes tonight. Back in the old days, we used to call this a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And people pray. Pray one for another. Pray for burdens and needs and things that were important. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage to the point of incitement someone in this building or several someones to develop a greater, a more effective, a more valuable prayer life than they've ever had before. I'm not just talking about praying over your meal. I'm talking about getting a hold of God. All of us have problems arise in our family situations that need prayer, earnest prayer. I pray, oh God, you'd help us to become people of prayer. Folk are coming. If you need to come and pray about your praying, come and pray. Go ahead, let's stand our feet. Just play. That'd be fine, ladies. Just, just play, ladies. I must tell Jesus all of my burdens and all of my sorrows and all of my cares. Take them to Him for Jesus cares. There's nothing too insignificant. There's nothing unimportant. He's concerned about you and your loved ones, your family situation, your life, your job, your career, your mate, your children, your grandchildren. I'll tell you, those of us tonight, we don't move as quick as we used to. We got a little gray in our hair. We got grandchildren all over the world, some of us. If there ought to be anybody to pray for children, it's your children's children. You ought to pray for your grandchildren earnestly. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they would surrender to the will of God. Pray that God would protect them from this evil world in which we live. The ungodly, untoward influences that bash them daily on every hand. Father in heaven, we pray that you'd bless these folk that found their way to the front tonight and others this evening. I pray you'd help us to become people of prayer. I know sometimes people might brag about this attribute or this thing that somebody does. The thing about prayer, I think the power of it, the influence of it is done in the prayer closet done in the private place. God, help us to become people of prayer. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name.